If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Danny. Danny runs a successful salon in New South Wales and has a gorgeous daughter, Sophia, who has just turned two. So welcome to the podcast, Danny. Really excited to have you share your story today and hoping you could start with what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. My story is quite sort of, I guess, basic. I knew I always wanted to be a mum. It's always been sort of one of the most important things and I've never had any luck when it comes to men. Um, you know, I've had dated quite a few guys and been in different relationships, but nothing really long-term. I think my longest relationship was like seven months. Um, so I, yeah, but I always knew I definitely wanted to be a mum, and it probably got to, I probably was about 30 or 30, I think it was about 31. And I just went to my GP one day, um, for something random I might have just been sick or something and she's been my GP since I was 10 or 11 years old Mm -hmm. and um we were just talking and you know she said oh you know how are you have you are you dating anyone at the moment and I just said to her no you know I never have luck when it comes to men or it's just been one sort of you know the wrong guy after another haven't met the right one and she said to me you know do you want to have kids um, one day and I said no I definitely want to be a mum I definitely want to have kids and she just said well why don't we just check your your eggs like your egg reserve we can do a test and see how that sort of is going and I didn't even know that was a thing um, I didn't yeah. know yeah. anything about it and I just sort of didn't think too much about it I just said yeah okay no worries we'll do that so she just gave me a referral um, to an IVF clinic here in Sydney um went along made an appointment went along to them and just had my amh levels checked um again didn't think anything of it yeah i didn't think there would ever be a problem um and then i think it was like a week or two i went back for the appointment my mum was with me um and he just said look your egg reserve is quite low for your age i think it was around it wasn't super low um but it was on the low side. I think it was about 6.9, 6.6, something like that. Um, and he said that is sort of quite low for 
someone of, of your age. Like I said, I think I was about 31. Um, and then he just said, you know, it just means, you know, if you want to have kids, you want to start thinking about it sooner rather than later. Um, and, yeah, that was it really. I sort of went home and I started just, just thinking about it a little bit and I started sort of Googling and I think that's when I came across, I think it was Sing Solo Mums by Choice Australia or I can't remember what it was called. Um, and I joined that group and those sort of forums and started to realise that this was something that was becoming quite common. A lot of women were starting to have kids on their own. Um, and a few times when I was younger, probably in my early 20s, I probably said a few times, oh, if I haven't met the right guy by this age, you know, I'll have a, a baby on my own. But I never thought I actually would. I never, you know, took it that seriously. I think it's one of those things you just kind of say, ah, worst comes to worst, I've just got a sperm donor. And it's just something you say, yeah. Comment, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah, never took it seriously. Um, but, yeah, I probably spent a good five or six months after getting those results um, thinking about it and, I come from my mum's Italian and my dad's Middle Eastern. He's from Iraq. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think it was something that would, um, that they would be able to understand or accept. They're still very open-minded um, but and they're very easygoing, but I didn't, I thought it would be something that they wouldn't take, they wouldn't take me seriously. Yeah. Um, they would just think that's that's ridiculous, that's crazy, you don't do that you know, a child needs to have a father as well. and But, no, that was the complete opposite. They were 100% supportive um, straight away. Um, and they said, look, you know, you, you're more than capable. I, I've got my own business. I've worked for myself. I have a salon. I've worked for myself since I was 19. Um, and they said, no, you can, if you want to do it, you know, you've got our support and you can definitely do it, whatever makes you happy. I'm sure so that that's when quite I, a big difference for you. Oh, well. Yeah, big relief because I don't think I would have, being able to do it if I didn't have their support. Um, and, yeah, so I started sort of looking into it a, a bit more um, and I I can't remember why, but I wasn't happy with the clinic I'd originally seen to get those, to get the AMH levels checked. Yeah. So I started looking at other clinics, I found another one in Sydney, and then I started learning about the difference between the IUI and IVF decided to try IUI first I thought I would try a less invasive way first mm -hmm. um I've never tried to get pregnant naturally um they did a lot of tests there didn't seem to be anything that they could tell that was actually would cause me to have difficulty falling pregnant mm -hmm. it was just that lower egg egg um, count so um had a IUI um wasn't successful, um, didn't work, and then I did, I think it was maybe the, the very following month, if not a month later, I did my second IUI. And, again, that one didn't work. Um, a lot of people kept telling me, a lot of family friends and, and friends of friends who have been through IVF kept saying to me, oh, IVF's horrible, um, it's so painful when you have your egg collection. And they really scared me. They really freaked me out. I was terrified to do IVF. Um, and that's why I, I was doing the IUIs first, knowing that it was a really, it was a low chance for it to be successful. But um, I just thought I'd try that first. So after the two unsuccessful IUIs, I was um, planning on, or I was deciding whether to do one more or go straight to IVF. Yeah. Um, at that point, though, I had met someone. Mm -hmm. um so I 
had met someone and um, that was going really well. I had told him that this was the plan. I was going to try IVF in the new year. I think I met him around September and I was planning on starting IVF in the January. Um, and he was, you know, no, that's fine. I, I can understand that's your decision, you know, and we'll just sort of see how things go, I guess. Um, it got to January and we, everything was going really well um, with us. Everything was going good. So I put my plans on hold, um, which, you know, thinking back now, I wish I didn't. Um, but, yeah, I put my plans on hold and then it was only maybe three or four months later that that had ended anyway. So it wasn't anything long. Um, I'm sure you were thinking, well, hopefully this will work out and then I won't need that. Plan. Exactly. I thought maybe this is it. Yeah. So maybe yeah, that's why the IUI didn't work. I know that's what I would be thinking. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, put that on hold. That didn't work. And then got back into thinking about, okay, the IVF, what I'm going to do. I wasn't happy with the clinic I had the IUIs with. Um, they had a bit of a different donor program. You well, for the IUIs anyway, you had to pick your top three donors mm -hmm. and you didn't get to find out which donor you had until the morning of, like really? half an hour really? before your IUI. Yeah, and I just found that really difficult, even though you pick three that, you know, you like, you've always got your favourite one or the one that you'd really like to, to have. Um, and then if you get there and you find out you didn't get that one, it's a little bit disappointing. Especially um, if it's only half an hour before to try and process. Oh, as soon as you get that, there. That's, that's I found that. It's a good place to, to be going through the process. Yeah, I found that really difficult. Um, and I'd also moved um, house. So I'd moved suburbs. I'd moved further away from the clinic. So with such early morning appointments, I thought, no, I need to find something a bit more local. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up going through Monash IVF um, and they were only sort of 10 minutes from home and five minutes from my salon. So it was amazing. It was so great. I'd go to my appointments, um, you know, before work in the morning. It was just really easy. And I had an amazing doctor. He was a professor. He was just, just so nice, really, really lovely. Um, so went through the whole sort of process with him um, a few more tests and things like that. And I think this was about September 2018, mm -hmm. I think it would have been, um, and started my first IVF cycle in the January, so January 2019. Yeah. Um, and I didn't find IVF too bad. Um, so all the horror stories. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I really didn't find it. I think the, for me the worst part was just the constant waiting, waiting for those phone calls to find out the next step. Um, that was that was the part I found the hardest. But, yeah, I did my first IVF cycle in the January and they got seven eggs. Out of the seven, I think five were mature and all five had fertilised. Mm-hmm. With um, my clinic, they would only do a five-day transfer. So come day five, out of that cycle, I only had one embryo that was left. So that was really disappointing. Um, they transferred that one and that didn't work. And then I went straight into a second cycle. So did my second IVF cycle. Um, they got a few less eggs. So they got five eggs with the second round. Yeah. Um, out of those five eggs three were mature and all three were still going strong come day five. Oh, wow. So that was really great. Um, did the first transfer, it didn't work. Did a second transfer and it 
It didn't work. And that's when my doctor wanted to, um, I only had the one embryo left and he was starting to talk about testing the embryo um, and I started questioning maybe I read about natural killer cells and things like that. Okay. So um, he ended up deciding not to test the embryo, but he actually did a curette um, on me, which I personally feel is what helped with my third embryo sticking, which resulted in little Sophia. Um, so he did a, what a curette is. I've never heard of that. Yeah, curette. So I think I think it's kind of just like a really good clean out. Um, so I just went in for the day into hospital um, and I think they just kind of scrape and clean away everything inside the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, he did find two little polyps, really tiny ones, which he removed and he got tested and they were all fine. Um, but, yeah, I think that just a really good sort of clean out, I guess, helped because it was six weeks later. Um, that's when they transferred my last embryo, um, which was when I got my positive um, pregnancy test. So, yeah, so he did a cure and um, he actually retired about six weeks after I got pregnant as well. So I was really thankful. Damn, that, anybody that listening who wanted him. <laughs> it worked, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he retired. Um yeah, so I um, yeah, so it took me the the couple of IUIs and then those two IVF cycles and then it was yeah, like about my fourth transfer um, that I got the positive. And obviously, the the donor selection process at that first clinic sounded not ideal. How did you find it when you went through the IVF clinic process? Yeah, no, they were great. So um, I chose an international donor, um, so from America, um, and. Yeah, I could, I could sort of, you know, I got all the pictures and, and I heard a 10-minute voice conversation of him talking to the clinic in America, um, baby photos, adult photos. It was a lot more easier. I felt a lot more relaxed about it. And given that it's New South Wales, it'll be donor um, ID release, I think they call it. So yeah, yeah. If she wants to, she can get more yeah. information. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think in New South Wales it's the five family limit. I think, is Victoria different? Is it 10? I think it's. I think with mine anyway, it's nine, but nine. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That was an um, Australian donor as well, not international. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I loved, I loved my clinic, Monash, and my doctor. I thought they were, um, they were amazing. So I was a real serial tester. I tested in that two week wait. Oh my god, I must have purchased so many pregnancy tests and I would go to so many different chemists to get them because I just thought they're going to be looking at me. I'm buying so many pregnancy tests. They're going to wonder what I'm doing. Um, There's a new side business for you there, Danny. I know. <laughs> uh, pregnancy test. I know. Uh, I would test every day, sometimes a few times a day. I was just, it was that even though you don't have any control over it, I, I felt like I had that little bit of control when I tested. It was weird. Um, and I had to know the result before I would get the phone call from my blood test. I couldn't just wait. I needed to know beforehand. Um, yeah, so I was at work. Actually, I was at my salon um, when I got the call saying um, that I was pregnant. So said, that was, yeah, I know that. I've known that for like five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was um, that was very surreal, actually. Um I thought when I would get the call or when I, you know, definitely knew that I was pregnant um, because in the past I'd had a few false positives and things like that with um, the different um, medications that you had to take in that two-week wait, um, especially with the old clinic. Um, 
So I'd had a few false positives and things. So yeah, when I got the call and, and I knew I definitely was, I always thought I would be jumping up and down and really happy and excited. But no, it was really surreal. It's like I just couldn't believe it. I sort of just got off the phone, went back to my client. Um, yeah. Like nothing had happened. It was crazy. Oh, it's just the wrong number. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you tell your parents straight away that it had worked? My mum was with me, yeah. Oh. So I think she'd already run the rest of the family and told them before I'd even finished with my client. She was just so excited. <laughs> um, and then I, so I think at that stage I was, I think what, you classified like four weeks or something. Yeah. Um, and my first ultrasound was booked at, I think I was about seven and a half weeks. Um, so obviously those next couple of weeks, I was really anxious, but it hit six weeks to the day and I was so sick. It just hit me out of nowhere. I was really, really sick. Um, and I was sick the whole pregnancy. I, anyone who knows me knows I hated every second of pregnancy. Unfortunately, I was wish, I wish I was one of those women who just loved pregnancy and I hated it and I swore I'd never do it again. Um, but yeah, here I am contemplating number two now and thinking when to start. Yeah. But um, yeah, had that ultrasound and everything was good. Everything was great. She had a really um, strong heartbeat and yeah. But the rest of the pregnancy, besides feeling sick, how did you go? Any conversations or anything? Or was that side of it smooth and it was just you felt crap? Yeah, I just felt crap. So medically, Sophia, everything was fine. She was growing beautifully. Um, there was never any issues with her. I was just really sick. I was just, like I said, the whole nine months, um, all day. The minute I'd get in the car and turn the ignition on, I would vomit. Um, and then from the strain of vomiting, I'd completely wet my pants. And it was horrible. I'd be pulling over on the side of the road. I'd be at work vomiting in the kitchen and I'd wet my pants. Um, so I had change of clothes everywhere I went. <laughs> change of clothes everywhere I went. Um, and then I did develop um spd that pubic bone i don't know if it's like a pubic bone separation or something but it's really painful down there especially when you walk or put any pressure um is that the one that's referred to as lightning crotch as well i'm not sure mm. i'm not sure it could be but i remember going to my obstetrician i think i started with the spd really early i think i was only about 13 14 weeks i think it usually happens later on in pregnancy mm -hmm. um and I remember saying to the obstetrician, I think I've got this SPD. I've been Googling and I'm pretty sure that's what I've got. And he said, no, no, it'll be too early for that. I think you've got a urine infection. And I just said, there's no way. I've never even had a urine infection. I said, and if I did, I don't think it would feel like this. This feels like bone. It's really difficult to walk. Um, they sort of just dismissed it and didn't do anything about it. Um, until I got to about 33 weeks and that's when they sent me that's to a quite doctor. quite a long one to be just living with it. And not it was horrible, yes. The worst time was when you get out of bed in the morning and initially start walking um, and then it would slowly get a little bit better during the day. But they sent me to a doctor, yeah, about 33 weeks and I had, it's kind of like a cortisone injection but it's not cortisone. I can't remember what they called it and they did an injection in my lower back and in the pubic bone. Which was just obviously painful. very painful, um, and it helped. It helped for probably about a week, and that was it. And I just thought, I'm not going back. I'm already 34 weeks pregnant. I'm, I'll just put up with it. I'm not doing those injections again. Um, 
But yeah, the rest of the pregnancy was fine. When I was going back a bit, when I was 20 weeks, I did wake up one morning and I went to the bathroom and I was bleeding quite a lot. Um, and I just broke down. I just thought, oh my God, what's happening? I've got to 20 weeks. Don't tell me, you know, this is happening. And I rang the hospital. I think it was five in the morning. I rang the hospital and I was just crying. I couldn't stop crying. And they said, just come in, we'll ring your doctor. He'll meet, you know, he'll meet you here. So um, my mum drove me to the hospital and he met me there. He checked and the baby was fine. It was just, I had a little blood clot um, near the placenta. And he said, that'll just clear up on its own. I'll check again in a week. And it, he was right. A week later, it was all completely gone. Um, very stressful though. At that it was scary at the time. Yeah. But thankfully it was nothing. Um, and then. I I just wanted pregnancy to be over. I just, and I was very anxious. Um, I think I, and I guess the hormones don't help. I get a bit of anxiety anyway, especially health-related anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, just mentally, physically, I was just done. I thought I can't do this. And I begged my obstetrician. I said, please just induce me whenever it's safe for her to come out, just induce me. I'm not going full term. I don't want to do this. Um, and he agreed to induce me at 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. So a week before he was going to induce me, he decided to break his arm. So mm-hmm. he, he couldn't deliver her. Yeah. So I had another one of his um, associates that work with him, um, another obstetrician, and she was amazing. She was 34 weeks pregnant herself, actually. Um so went in on the, yeah, the Wednesday, the 20th of May, I went in at 37 weeks and um, they induced me and they said, it's going to be a really slow process. Um, you know, you're not going to, it's not going to, it's going to be like a day or two. It's going to be very slow. You're going to be here for a while. And I remember my mum was with me and she was the only one that kept saying that she's going to have this baby really fast. She's, she's going to be quick like I was because my mum had me in 50 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, very, very fast labour. Um, so she kept saying, no, nah, she's going to have it today. And I kept saying, no, don't get excited. It's going to be a long process. So they induced me and oh, within minutes I had excruciating lower back pain. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to them, my back, it's just the pain is unbearable. So they gave me an endone. Didn't do anything. It didn't touch the pain. Um, and then not long after they checked me and they said, you're already four centimetres. We're going to break your waters. And you were nothing when you went in? Nothing, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they broke my waters and she said, no, you're actually probably going to have this baby later tonight. And your mum's sitting there going, told you so. Exactly, yeah. And um, an hour and a half later she was out. Oh, Wow. It was really quick. So they broke my waters and then instantly I just started having contraction after contraction after contraction. I wasn't getting a break in in between to breathe. And I remember um, just saying, can I have an epidural? Like, is it too early? Is it going to last? I don't know. I I didn't have a birth plan. I didn't look into any, you know, research any of the birthing type of different options and things. I'd always just thought, I'm just going to go in and whatever they have to do, they will do. Um, So I didn't have any plan, but I said, can I have an epidural? So they went and got the anaesthetist. He came in and at this point I was, I could feel my body sort of locking up a bit. I was just in pain. So they all had to sort of, between my mum, the anaesthetist and the midwife, my obstetrician wasn't there yet. 
They all sat me up on the bed um, and the anaesthetist was trying to go through all the side effects of the epidural with me and, and go through it all. And I remember just screaming, I'm pushing, I need to push. And um, I was actually holding onto my mum's shoulders and I actually ripped one of her shoulders, like the top, her top. I remember ripping it and hearing the stitches rip because I was just <laughs> holding on so tight. And um, I remember, yeah, screaming, I'm just, I need to push. And the midwife said, no, she doesn't need to. She's only like four centimetres. And the anaesthetist said, just check her again. And all three of them literally just had to throw me back down on the bed because I couldn't move. She checked me and she said, oh, she's nine centimetres. It just happened so fast. Um, And I think it was like 15 minutes of pushing and she was out. Really quick. Yeah, really quick. Um, And no real pain relief. No, there was no pain relief at all. No, nothing. So, yeah, hour and a half later she was out. And um, because she came out so fast, I had a third degree tear. So mm-hmm. I wasn't with her for very long. Um, I had to go down to theatre. They knocked me out for two hours and um, had to stitch me up. And I'd also hemorrhaged. Um, so I ended up, I think it was the day after, they gave me three blood transfusions. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I was in bed for a couple of days. I couldn't sort of sit up or, or get out of bed without getting dizzy and, and fainting almost. Yeah. So thankfully I had my mum with me the whole time um, to help with Sophia. Um, but, yeah, yeah, no, very quick. But and you amazing. were in hospital all that time though? Yeah, I stayed, in, I stayed for five nights. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yeah, five nights. Um, and then Sophia just had to go in the special care just for 24 hours under the blue light, she had a little bit of jaundice. Yeah. Um, so it was just the 24 hours she had to be in. So they would, I, they kept me in the wheelchair, so they'd just wheel me around whenever I wanted to go see her. Um, yeah. Yeah, so about five days and then we had COVID and everything, so you couldn't have any visitors in hospital. So I was just constantly FaceTiming my brother and my my dad. And Lucky so yeah, was you were able to have your mum with you, though. I know. Thankfully, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, very fast, very fast delivery. And so what was life like when you went home with just you and Sophia? It was good. So during pregnancy, my I was always terrified that I wasn't going to be a good mother. I just had this, my typical me goes to worst case scenario and I was just terrified that I'd made a mistake. I wasn't going to be a good mother. What if I didn't love my baby? What if I didn't bond with her? Um, and thankfully, it's obviously been the complete opposite. The minute I saw her, she was just, oh, it's the best feeling when you see your baby for the first time. Um, and, yeah, going home, it was amazing. I think the day we got home at the afternoon, I had a bit of a panic attack because I just thought, okay, well, what now? What do I do? They've just sent me home with a baby. With this baby, I'm responsible for. Ah. Yeah, they've just sent me home, and I'm like, I don't know what do I do. Am I supposed to have a schedule, or what am I supposed to do? Um, but yeah, I sort of, you do your natural instincts just kick in, like that. Everyone tells you that it, that it will. Um, so you hadn't done a lot of reading or anything like that. No, obviously didn't have childbirth, but you didn't for what it was going to be like with her either. No, not really. Um, and she, I guess, just like a typical newborn, she just, you know ate um slept and pooed and that was about it really it was just um 
I'd taken three months off work. So I did go back after three months um, because I do have, you know, as I said, I've got my own business and I have staff that work for me, but I did need to go back. So I, I went back just two days a week and I still only do the two days a week. Um, so my parents had her those two days. And I also didn't breastfeed. I had no desire to breastfeed. Um, I don't know if it's because I've always heard the stories from my mum. She had trouble breastfeeding me and my brother. Um, and I remember the obstetrician said, because I've got quite large breasts as well, he said that you could have difficulty breastfeeding. And I said, look, I have no desire to breastfeed. She's going straight on formula. Once I go back to work, anyone can give her a bottle. Um, I just sort of wanted to eliminate that bit of stress. Yeah, I think especially if you're only having three months off. Mm, yeah. That's up for success with that. Yeah, yeah. So, and she was great on, you know, on the formula. She was fine. I knew how much she was getting. Um, I think as a newborn, she was feeding, I think it was every two hours, two or three hours. Um, but, yeah, no, I remember thinking I've never felt more just content and relaxed mm. once I had her and we were at home. I just felt, yeah, yeah, no, it was amazing. And, um, yeah, she was growing fine. The nurse would come out and check her and, and um, yeah, no, everything was going good. That's definitely an adjustment and it's definitely getting used to having less sleep. Um, but, yeah, you just do it. So going back to work after three months must have been pretty tough. How did you find the balance of mum, Sophia, with parents looking after her, with work, with everything? It was okay. Um, I didn't obviously want to leave her. Thankfully, it, is, it was only the two days a week and it was only sort of 10 minutes from home. So I was really lucky and lucky that I've got the support of my parents. Um, I didn't have to put her in daycare or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, no, it was fine. I think I'd ring my mum. I still do probably ring my mum six times a day while I'm at work just to check that <laughs> Sophia's okay. And she sends me photos, you know, even from, from the beginning when I first went back, she constantly constantly sends me photos um, just to, you know, and I know she's in good hands. I know she's completely fine, but just that peace of mind as well. And you miss them. I know. It's great that you're, you've still managed to maintain that balance where you only have to go back to work two days a week. Yeah. You're very lucky because she's just yeah. two a couple of days ago. She did. Yeah, I can't believe two already. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, it's it's been good. So now I you know, I work the Wednesdays and the Saturdays and then I've got a lot of, you know, social media and things like that to do for work. So I'm usually doing that at night time when she's asleep. Um, and if I'm, you know, with her and I've got to take a quick phone call, then she's fine. She's pretty good. She'll occupy herself for a few minutes while I'm on the phone or if I'm at home and, um, you know, mum will have her or something like that while I'm on the phone with a client. So, yeah, it seems to be working working well. and um yeah I'm just starting to contemplate when to start trying for number two I was just about to ask you about that so I know you've been thinking about it for a, a little while now do you want to talk about the sort of thought process you've gone through and some of the things you've had to kind of get to peace with I guess before you progress to number two yeah so I think for me I mean I have a, a sibling I have a brother he's three or two and a half three years younger um and I've always assumed I would have at least two children I just feel like I'm not done. Um, yeah, I feel like I, and I really want to give Sophia a sibling. Um, I often think, you know, when I'm older and if one day something happens to me and she doesn't have a father, I'd love for her to at least have a sibling. Um, 
scared to do it again. I think I'm scared to go through, even though I didn't find IVF that difficult. It's still emotional. It's an emotional roller coaster and a lot of waiting. And to have to go through all that again is I'm not looking forward to that. And I'm not looking, if it works, I'm not looking forward to going through pregnancy again. Like I said, I, I swore I'd never do that again. Yeah. But, you know, it's worth it as well. So the end result is is amazing. Um, I do have um, the same donor, um, some vials frozen. So when Sophia was a month old, yeah, I rang my clinic and I said, if I want to purchase more vials of my donor, can I, in case I decide to have another another baby? And they actually said, look, he's actually left the program and there's no vials left. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we can do is put you on like a list if any vials come available, we can let you know. Sometimes people have vials frozen and they've decided they don't want any more kids and they sell the vials back to the sperm bank. And they said, but it rarely ever happens. And then, you know, that was disappointing because I, if I'm going to have another child, I would really like it from the same donor. Um, I don't want to have to use another donor. And then it was probably about two months later they emailed me and they said, we can't believe it, but um, a couple of vials have become available. Do you want them? So I, I grabbed them straight away, snapped them up. So, um, so yeah, so I've got two vials. So the one vial gets you the one um, IVF cycle. And then obviously depending how many embryos you get with how many transfers and chances that you get. So, yeah, so I've got them um, on freeze at the moment. And At any point did they suggest that you buy more than one vial when you were going through the process with them? So you've obviously, what, used two vials originally for the two rounds? Yeah, I purchased the two vials. I think um, not that they really suggested. It's You get a little bit of a discount, I think, the more you buy. But mm-hmm. just from a financial point of view as well, um, I couldn't afford because you don't get any anything back from you know, Medicare or anything like that with the vials like you do with your IVF cycles and things yeah. like that. So there's no sort of rebate or whatever they call it. So, um, yeah, from a financial point of view, I could only get the two. Um, and, yeah, thankfully, yeah, lucky last at work. And then hopefully with these two. So what? Um, now we'll see what happens. So you're thinking it won't be too far away that you will go down that journey? Yeah, so I was supposed to start January just gone and then I decided to relocate my salon, which cost me a lot more than what I was planning. Um, So it's sort of a financial thing as well as um, I would love if Sophia was a little bit older and a little bit more independent before I had another baby, but I don't have... You know, I'm 38 in July. Um, I don't have time on my side either. I also worry the older I get how pregnancy would be mm-hmm. um, because I found it so difficult the first time. Um, but, you know, they say every pregnancy is different as well. So, so hopefully but, the next one won't be anything like the first one. I know, and I'm hoping, you know, my anxiety won't be as bad as well. So I think that probably contributes a lot to it as well. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm ho- hoping this year, this year sometime, to um to start to start IVF so yeah hopefully within the next maybe sort of you know four or five months and we'll see what happens 
a little have our fingers and toes crossed for you. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So I guess if you could look back now and if you could do anything different on your journey, is there anything you think that you would do different? Um, I wish I went straight to IVF. I wish I didn't bother with IUIs. And I know a lot of women are lucky enough to fall pregnant with IUIs a lot of the time the first go as well I think that's amazing um but yeah I wish I wasn't so scared to start IVF um you've I think you've got to go into it uh, like I've got friends and things that are going through it at the moment and I say you've kind of just got to ride that IVF wave like you you can't plan anything you've got to give up control um you can't really control any of it but yeah I wish I went straight to the IVF and didn't bother with IUIs and that I wish I sort of started a bit sooner mm-hmm. as well um you know didn't put my plans on hold when I'd met someone but you, you know you, you don't know what's going to happen so yeah but it's definitely the best choice I made she's um she's beautiful and it's it's funny even since I had her sort of I've realized that all those years of dating um, I always felt like something was just wasn't right. And I think deep down I was really just dating because I wanted a family yeah. and because I felt like society, I was supposed to date, I was supposed to meet someone, you're supposed to get married, um, you know, family, friends constantly asking, has Danielle met anyone? Has she met anyone yet? Is she going out with anyone? And yeah, looking back now, I think I was doing it just because I felt like I was supposed to yeah. and because I really wanted a family. And now that I have Sophia, I have absolutely, and it might change, but at the moment I have no interest in meeting someone. Um, I like how my life is. Um, you know, I'm hoping to have a second baby. And I just want to concentrate on just building my own little family. Yeah. Um, I think you know, maybe when Sophia, you know, kids are older um, and I'm older, then maybe um, life will be a bit different and I'll be looking at maybe meeting someone. But, yeah, right now I've got absolutely no no intentions um, to meet anybody. It's also just finding the time. I mean, you're running a successful business and you've got a child. That's the thing. There's no time and I'm too tired. <laughs> I'm too tired, exactly. By the time Sophia goes to bed, I just want to get into bed with a cup of tea and, you know, scroll through Instagram or, um, you know, watch some Netflix. I don't want to be going on dates. Put on your jammies as early as possible. No one wants to put on makeup and effort. No way. <laughs> exactly. She's in bed by, well, usually, you know, about 7.30 and I'm in my pyjamas. That's all yeah. I want to do. It's not such a bad life, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> so if there's anyone listening that the story is resonating with, is there any advice you would give them that are maybe just going into this journey? Oh, obviously, you know, do your research and, and think about if it's something that, that you want because it is hard. Being a mum is hard work. It's like they say, it's the hardest job in the world, but it's the best. Mm. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, hopefully you've got some support around you. Um, and we're always stronger than what we realise we are as well. Like you can do it. It's If it's what you really want, definitely do it. It's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story tonight, Danny, and hopefully we get some exciting news for number two. Yes. Not too distant future. I know. We'll see what happens. But if not, beautiful Sophia. I'm just jealous of how much hair she's got. She's the most beautiful. Oh, my goodness, that hair. I know. 
so much hair. <laughs> Just stunning. So yeah. thank you so much, Anne, and I can't wait Thanks, to hear this episode. Thank you. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.